Estás escuchando un mensaje de parte de Vida City Church Houston. Para más información de nuestra iglesia, visita nuestra página de web en vidacch.org. Y ahora con ustedes, el mensaje. You are listening to a message from Vida City Church Houston. For more information about our church, visit our website at vidacch.org. And now with you, today's message. Amen. It's a joy to be with you this morning in the house of God. It's a joy to be here in this church with Pastor. Uh, it's there's such good leaders and pastors. I remember uh, God using Pastor here to really. Uh, we were in a season of transition. We knew God was calling us to to take some radical steps and to to pivot. And and before we lived overseas, we lived here in Houston, and uh, God used Pastor to encourage us. And, and to remind us of the calling that God had placed in our lives. So I want to thank you, Pastor. I want to thank you for being obedient. I want to thank the Lord that God has given you some amazing leaders because God speaks through our leaders. He speaks through our pastors in a way that no one else can. Uh, I'd like you to take a seat. You, you can be seated this morning. Uh, you'll see some pictures of my family. Uh, our, my, three, my three older little ones are with me this morning. They're in Children's Church, Josiah, Taya, and Elena. And for the last seven years, we have lived and worked in the Middle East. And I'm here to tell you that God is moving in the Muslim world. It's moving in the Middle East. And you guys are part of that story. From the very beginning, this church has supported us, has walked with us, has prayed for us, has sent financial help on a monthly basis. So a lot of the stories you're going to hear this morning, a lot of the testimonies, you as a church are part of those stories and part of those testimonies. So I want to thank you guys because you are part of this story. You are part of what God is doing in overseas. So every time you give your tithe, your offering, your missions offering, it goes to support people like us who go to other nations, who don't have access to the name of Jesus. So I want to thank you again for being faithful in your giving. I think you'll see a picture of my family up there. Uh, so we have our three little ones, and then our newest addition, Jonah, you'll see a baby picture up there in a moment. Uh, he was born on Monday, so we have our fourth. Uh, you know, we called him Jonah because uh, Jonah was sent to Nineveh. It's the place where we are sent, the place that we call home. And I'm, I'm so, I think it's so timely in so many ways that you guys are starting a fast, and, and And Pastor mentioned Daniel. The book of Daniel was written in the place and where we serve. And so we believe in the power of fasting. And I believe today's message this morning is a great introduction for this season of fasting, the season of walking in obedience, walking in sacrificial obedience, whether it's from social media, from food, from our, our favorite taco restaurant, our favorite Starbucks. But when we take steps of obedience and we give up and say, God, you are more important than my habits. You are more important than my daily stress routines because we know that you are my sustaining grace. You are my sustaining hope. And so I'm so thankful and a privilege to be able to be with you guys this morning. Amen. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and you'll be able to see it on the screen as well, we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want to give you a little bit of context of this story. And throughout the story, I'm going to be talking about the work we do and what God is doing. Because when we talk about overseas work, it's more than just a flag, more than just a map. It's about people. And the reason we go to places like the Middle East and places like Africa and India and Europe, it's There's needs all over the world. There's needs here in Houston, and these are valid needs. The problem is access. There are people in this world, tribes and nations and countries and cities that don't have access to the name of Jesus. 
And what do I mean by access? Meaning they have never seen a church building. I don't know about you. My drive was about 30 minutes this morning here. I must have saw at least 100 churches in those 30 minutes. But there's places in this world that you can drive for days and not see one single church. There's places in this world that you can walk in crowds of millions of people and not see one believer, not hear one mention of the name of Jesus. There are places in this world that don't have Bibles readily available to their language. Unless someone goes, unless a church is planted in that nation, they are left without the access of Jesus. And this past, this purpose is not just for the global church, not just for the institutional church, but for every single one of us. We have a task. We have a person that God is calling us to reach. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, I love the, this story of Elijah. If you heard about Elijah and you've read a little bit of the New Test, Old Testament, uh, it's kind of the same story in repeat. You have the prophet of the Lord that hears from the Lord and obeys the word of the Lord and he speaks it to the kings and to the people. And the people have to decide either to obey the word of the Lord or to disobey. And the story repeats itself. Those who obey, the kings that obeyed, and they walked in the sight of the Lord, there's blessing and prosperity and there's peace. And usually those who disobeyed, it comes into ruin, calamity, and destruction and I want to talk about this morning because as we go into this fasting season as a church for you guys, as well as we are called to walk in obedience of God's word daily. And sadly, we don't live, we live in a day and an age that Bible illiteracy is so common that we don't even know that what God's word says anymore. And so as a church, I believe that as you go into your prayer and your fasting time, that you will daily learn how to abide on God's word and that he would teach you the steps that he would call you to do. But the story of Elijah is he goes, and he's a prophet who goes and prophesies that there's not going to be any rain. And then God calls him to go live on a stream, and he's going to be fed by ravens and be, be drinking from the water of the stream. And, but he prophesies that there's going to be no rain, so very quickly, in a short amount of time, the drought, the river runs dry because there's no rains. Now God, in this story we're about to pick up, sends him to a widow. He says, I'm sent, I've prepared a widow for you to give you food. And so as he goes and meets this widow, he asks her for some food. And this is the response. So 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 11 through 16, it says, And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in, my, in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing to bait, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have, you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rains upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate, and he ate for many days. And the jar of flour was not spent, nor the jar of oil became empty, according to the word of the Lord that was spoken by Elijah. 
Amen. I want to say a prayer this morning. I'm actually going to do it in bilingual. I'm going to do it in English, and I'm going to do it in Arabic. Because God is a God of the nations, and we as a people must learn to communicate the gospel in the way that people can understand. For some of us, it means communicating to our friends, our family, in a way that they can understand. And for others, it means learning a totally different language so that people can hear the name of Jesus. So I'm going to pray this morning. Shukran ya Rabban Hadayom, Shukran an Istimana, Shukran a Kanise Hon, Shukran a Gassis, Barakna Hadayom, Uyastaknamha, Nasali Ruhel Kodis Ejibi, I may not know. Dear Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this pastor. I thank you for your word that we can come and open this morning and learn from. I pray that your spirit would be amongst us and move this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of this message is called The Other Side of Obedience. The Other Side of Obedience. Because Elijah had a decision. He had a decision to follow and obey the Lord. And I find it so interesting, this story of Elijah, that God sends Elijah not out of a point of abundance, but he sends him in many ways out of a point of desperation, of a point of need. Many times we don't go to our neighbors. Many times we don't go to the lost. Many times we don't see ourselves being able to go overseas because we don't feel like we have the qualities, we have the talent, we have the skill set. But here is a man of God that God is sending him not out of abundance, not out of talent, but rather out of dependence on the Lord. He needed food. He needed water, and he didn't have it. And God says, I'm sending you somewhere else, and they're going to provide it. And the crazy part is he sends them to this woman who is getting ready to prepare her last meal. And in doing so, his obedience, her obedience, releases the provision of God in both of their lives. I love this passage where it says, and she did as he said, and he and she and her son ate for many days. And what a beautiful picture is that they ate many days on the provision of the Lord. They ate many days on the obedience of the Lord. And you are going into that season as you fast, that you will learn how to eat, how to walk daily for the next 21 days on the dependence and obedience of the Lord. Amen. The other side of obedience first gives us purpose. First gives us purpose. Elijah needed a mission. He needed purpose. He needed direction. Without purpose in our lives, and I'm, I'm not talking about our own purpose, our own vision, our own ambitions. We all have those. But without God-given purpose, calling, and direction, we tend to fall ourselves, we tend to lead ourselves into ruin. But Elijah had a purpose and a mission to preach God's word and to be obedient. It reminds me of my friend Ahmed, where we live. You know, his story is pretty common, but also very full of miraculous divine interventions. Ahmed, Muhammad left his country in hopes of a better future. His country was war-torn. He didn't have any hope. There was no jobs. He says, it's better if I leave, and he leaves. A couple days later, he finds himself in the middle of the ocean in a raft, and the, wa- the raft begins to take water. The only problem is Ahmed doesn't know how to swim. Muhammad doesn't know how to swim. And he, all, in all of his, his crying out, he, he hears someone call out the name of Jesus. 
He says, I don't know who Jesus is, but if he can rescue that person, maybe he can rescue me. And so he says, Jesus, if you are real, help me in this moment. The next day he wakes up and all he can remember is waking up on a beach. And he says, Jesus must have saved me. And so what he does, the first thing he gets up and goes and looking in the town for someone to tell him about Jesus. He met into some missionaries for Finland, and they began to do Bible studies with him and disciple him, and they baptized him. But something began to change in his life. He began to have a holy purpose, a purpose that wasn't necessarily to stay comfortable, but rather to go back to the place that he left. He says, I got to go back to my country. Because my father and my mother don't know Jesus. I have to go back to my country because they are left in ruins, and I know that Jesus is the answer for them. And so my friend landed in the country that we serve in just a week after before we did. And then a, couple, a month later, we're meeting with him in a park with his friend that he is leading to Jesus. And that was the beginning of a beautiful Bible study that we began growing. His life was full of purpose, purpose so much so that he changed his perspective and changed where his destination. On the other side of obedience brings provision and justice, provision and justice, social change. I think of this woman that is on her last meal. She's, she's at her last thing of flour, her last thing of oil. She's about to die. I'm pretty sure she's She's probably went begging. She probably just finished begging around the streets. Does anyone have work for me? Does anyone have uh, any resources to give me? Does anyone have any extra? Can anyone help me? And all of a sudden, God sends the prophet to her, Elijah. And in all of this testing, he asked her for a meal when it's her last meal. But in doing so, God brought provision. He brought change. He not only brought provision for Elijah, but for her. When we're walking in God's obedience, and I'm praying for you that as you fast this next 21 days, you would see provision as well as social change. That your atmosphere around your home, the atmosphere around your work, the atmosphere around your school would begin to be impacted by your steps of obedience. And that's what, that was, that's what was happening in this story. I think of this, that passage where we just read, and I think about this. What if Elijah didn't go? How long would she have to live? Surely she would have eaten her last meal and not had anything to do other than to wait and starve to death. And I think about the opportunity and the blessings that we have, that I have each and every day. And to be honest, sometimes it keeps me up at night. Because the question we have to ask ourselves is, if we don't obey God's word, who will suffer on the other side of that? Who will be missing out on seeing the provision? Not just me, but those who are around me. If we don't take those steps of obedience. Going back to my friend's story, he came back to the country and he began to start a Bible study, began to, to bring people of a group. And I'm pleased to say that we have a group of seven guys that are studying the Bible every week 
hungry to know more about who he is. And not just that, but these guys have their own guys that they're ministering to in their own communities, and they have their own Bible studies because our task is to make disciples that make disciples. And they began growing. They began, they got married this past year, and God began moving in their lives. They began to disciple their, their wives, because in, the, in Arab culture, in Muslim, Middle Eastern culture, most marriages are arranged through the tribe. And so the first time they met their spouses was in a meeting over coffee, and, this, and they needed to decide right then and there if they were going to be engaged. And that was the first time they met. So there's no dating. The, the dating starts after engagement. And so they, get, they got engaged with, with some women in their tribe, with a woman in their tribe, and they began to love on him, disciple him. And really quickly, these women began to see something different in these men. As soon as they got married, they began to see that, wait a minute, he's helping me wash the dishes. Wait a minute, he's helping me cook. Wait a minute, instead of leaving all day being with his friends, he wants to sit down and talk with me. He wants to sit down and pray with me. Husbands, I hope you're taking some notes here. (laughs) This is your chance. But they began seeing some difference in these guys' lives, and they wanted that difference. They wanted that joy, that hope. And, they be, and I remember this past December getting a call from my friend with joy in his heart. He says, will you pray and with me and my wife? She's made a decision to follow Jesus, and I want her to be, I wanted you to pray with us. And so we began praying with her. We said, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. The best decision you will ever make in your life. We can't wait to see you next week. This was Christmas week. Christmas Eve, I get a call from my friend at 10 o'clock at night. We had just put the kids to sleep. They're super excited about opening their presents the next day. But my friend calls me crying, distraught. He says, I have to come to your house. It's an emergency. Can I come? I said, of course. The door's always open. 30 minutes later, he comes in. His clothes ripped up a little bloody and bruised. And I say, what happened? What's going on? He says, well, we were in our room. We were getting ready to go to sleep. We're, everything's going normal. All of a sudden, we hear yelling outside. We hear the door being kicked in. And the next thing you know, our door gets kicked in. Three guys rushed into the room, began to hit me, pushed me against the wall. As soon as I got up, all I could see was these men dragging my wife out of my house. I didn't know what to do. My family, my mom, my, bro- my father that was there was yelling. My brothers were, were, were trying to go look for, for, for things to, to attack them with. And all I could do is leave. And I said, who are these men? He said, these men are her, her brothers. You know, last week when she made the decision, she went back home. And she, in joy, in innocence, she went to tell her little sister about her decision to follow Jesus. And now this week, her brothers came in beat me up and said, you've dishonored our family. You've, you've brainwashed our sister. You've, you've let her leave Islam. And now you're going to suffer the consequences. A week went by and he stayed in our house. He stayed in the other houses of the groups of the Bible study, praying and believing for a miracle, praying for something to change. We believe that God could change. He said, you don't understand, Josh, that when this happens in our culture, it's an automatic divorce. There's no hope for the marriage. I may never even see her again, and hopefully I pray that she's still alive. I didn't have the words, to be honest with you, to, to what to tell him. 
All I could do is pray and cry with him and be there for him. And every day we prayed, God, do a miracle. God, be with her today. God, do a miracle in that family. I remember telling my dad the next day, say, I need you to pray. I love my parents. They support us. They pray for us. They believe in us. But my dad is, uh, he, he says, I support you from afar, Josh. He says, he says, I love you guys. I just don't understand why you are taking my grandkids to this country far away where there's war and destructions. And I'm praying for you, but just know I'm not going to visit you. I'll pray for you from afar. So I told him this story about my friend, and he began to cry. And I said, what is going on? I, don't, I mean, he's a Latino man. He's from Mexico. He's born and raised uh, half in Mexico here. I've seen my dad cry two times in his life. The first time I saw him cry was when his father passed away at the funeral. The second time I've seen my father cry was when I told him the news of my friend. God began to do something in my dad's heart. And little by little, he would send me verses that I would translate for my friend. And then they, at one point, they had video calls back and forth. And little by little, my friend began to say, I don't know what it is about your dad, but I feel like he's a spiritual father that I've never had. And then all of a sudden, my dad said, I don't know what it is about your friend, but I feel like he's a spiritual son. I have, I'm thankful for you, Josh, but, but I feel like there's a burden on my heart that I can't, I can't explain it. And so my dad began praying and fasting, just like we were doing for my friend, that God would do a miracle. Days, weeks, months went by. Three months without seeing his wife. Three months without hearing if anything was going to change. And then all of a sudden, he, he, my friend finds himself at a funeral. And he's there giving, paying respects because his grandmother just passed away. And in comes, opens the door, in comes his wife's father and his wife. First time he's seen her in three months. And he kind of looks to see if the brothers are there. And they're not there. And the dad comes up to him. He says, I want to apologize. You had every right to come and bring your brothers and do the same. You had every right to file police charges. And a matter of fact, my own sons that came into your house are now in jail for something else. I heard that you've been praying. I heard that you still desire my daughter as your wife. Other men would have just washed their hands of it and said, I guess it wasn't meant to be. But you, I've heard that you desire her back. And for that reason, I can't explain it. I don't agree with what you've done. I don't believe in what she believes, but I can no longer withhold your wife from you. So I've come to pay my respects, but also to return my daughter to you. God did a miracle, did a change. I'm super excited to announce that they're expecting their first little one, uh, the baby girl that's coming in a couple months. We had them over after a couple months because we said we were going to see her next week, and three and a half months passed by, and we didn't see her, but we were praying for her. And I said, what did God teach you through all this? They say, you know, Josh, it was one of the most difficult times in our lives but I wouldn't change it because we have both experienced the love of God, the peace of God, like never before in our lives. We've grown in love for one another. We, we, we love each other more now than we did before all of this happened. And we know that God is going to use this story to not just be a foundation for us, but for those who follow. 
for our children to come. God is going to use this, that what enemy, what culture seek to separate, God brought together in his miraculous power. I didn't tell you the rest of the story. My dad, that same week, he calls me and says, you know, Josh, I said I would never visit you guys. I pray for you, but something's stirring in my heart, and God is telling me I have to go and give your friend a hug. I have to go give my spiritual friend a hug. He says, so next time when you, go, when you guys go back, I'm going to go with you. When we walk in obedience, God brings transformation. He brings justice and change in our lives. That our steps of obedience impact our lives, the lives of who are recipients of that, but then even our community, even our family. And I'm thankful for what God has been doing. You know, I was recently watched the video the other day about the task that we have to preach the gospel, to share the hope of Jesus with the lost, to be ambassadors of hope and everywhere we go. And I watched this video about reaching the world for Jesus. And they explored two strategies on reaching the world for Jesus. One of the strategies was going to rent Reliance Stadium, filling it up, bringing the best preachers and teachers and the best musicians, and to be able to present the gospel of Jesus. They said, we're going to rent it out every day. We're going to fill it up, hopefully with at least 50,000 people. We're going to do an awesome service, and we're going to do an altar call, and we're going to be praying and believing that 10,000 people every night will come to the feet of Jesus for the first time, that would hear the message of Jesus for the first time. And so after, two, after seven days, we're believing for 70,000 new believers. In many people's eyes, this would be a very successful, very effective ministry. And I think all of us would be celebrating if 70,000 people came to the feet of Jesus this week alone. So they begin to do the mathematics, and they begin saying, how long would it take us? How many days would we have to rent out this stadium for us to be able to reach the world for Jesus? And they did the number, and they say, you know what, we got to tear up this plan. It's going to take us 1,500 years for the world to come to us, for the people who don't know Jesus to come. We don't have enough finances to rent out Reliance Stadium for 1,500 years, let alone we don't have the lifespan to do it. They say, we got to change something else. So we, they started exploring other strategies. They said, what if the body of Christ, what if the church, what if you and me committed to make one disciple every year? I'm not talking about bringing them to church. I'm talking about going to their house, inviting them into their house, loving on them, praying with them, crying with them, opening the word of God together with them and saying, God has a plan for your life. That your situation, your sickness, your disease, your situation is not impossible for God. I'm talking about walking with someone. I'm talking about interceding with someone like you never done before. One person a year. And the next year, you two would reach out for two other people. In the following year, the U4 would reach out to four more people. If the church, if we individually made a commitment to make one disciple a year, how long would it take? So they began doing the mathematics, and they were shocked to see the number. Say, so statistically speaking, if we all committed to do our part, we would reach the world in 35 years. 35 years. In many people in this room, that means Jesus would come back in our lifetime. If we did our part, if we committed 
to walk with one person every year for the next, eight, next 35 years of our lives. Jesus could come back. But we have to do our part. That should make, you should make you excited. If you commit, and I'm praying that as you fast this 21 months, 21 days, that God would put someone in your life that you could walk with. Yes, bring them to church. Yes, bring them to Bible studies. But you be Jesus for them because they have to know Jesus. You know, there are more, more Muslims coming to Jesus now than ever before, and they're trying to understand what is going on. And they found there's three common factors in all of these testimonies. First is they had a truth encounter. Someone who told them the word of God, someone who gave them the word of God, someone who sat down with them and explained to them what this word, word means, to gave them the gospel presentation. The second is that they experienced the love of Jesus, meaning they experienced the love of another believer, of a Christian that prayed for them, that went to go play with their kids and went into their home and, and made them a big dinner and just loved with, laughed with them, cried with them, fellowship with them. And the last is they had a power encounter. And through reading the Bible, through living with a believer, they saw the power of God manifest in their lives, vision, a dream, a healing the miraculous, just like Pastor was talking about today, that when we pray, when we fast, we open the door for the miraculous to happen. Taking steps of obedience brings us awareness and transformation. The reality is this. My friend had every right to say, this is not worth it. Jesus is not worth it. I don't have my wife. I don't have my job. I don't feel safe at home. It's not worth it. He could have given up hope. He could have just said, maybe she wasn't for me. Maybe I can just go find another wife. But he decided to trust in Jesus. He decided to walk in obedience. He decided to intercede. He decided to make his dependence on Jesus. Jesus is raising up other people like that in my country. And I'm praying that he would raise up other people in other countries. You know, the question is not, do you have a disciple? God is already preparing people that you can reach. The incredible part about God's work is that he involves us in it. And the reality is there are people that you can reach that I can't reach. Meaning there's people in your community that only you have access to. There's people that me serving in the Middle East that I have access to because I walk in obedience. The question, we, sometimes we ask ourselves the wrong question. Is it possible that you're calling me to go? Is it possible that you're calling me to share? That's pretty clear in the Bible. The question is, where is he calling you? And how long will it take for you to get there? How long will it take for you to see that person and to be in front of them? And that is in our hands. That's in our ability to walk so I want to ask, encourage the worship team to come up, and I want us to stand to our feet this, this morning. If you have more questions about what we do, we have a table in the back. We have some coffee bags. And I, I like to encourage you guys to walk away. Uh, we have enough for everyone in, the, in here. It's a book of testimonies of what God is doing all throughout the Arab world in Jesus. It's just a book of testimonies, and it'd be great for you to, to do this during your fasting. Read one. And be encouraged by how God is moving. Because the same God that's moving here in Houston, Texas, is moving in the Middle East. And moving in places like Iraq and Syria and Lebanon. Places that are war-torn. But this morning, I want to open up this altar time. I want to open it up 
a time of response. You see, Elijah, he was a prophet, but he was also human. He was full of fear. Just in two chapters later, Elijah finds himself in a cave running for his life because there's a woman trying to kill him. And God reminds Elijah of his purpose. The Bible says a story. He says, Elijah goes in the cage and he hears the word of the Lord. He says, come out of that cave, Elijah. And God brings a wind. He brings an earthquake. He brings a fire. And he says, but God was not in any of those. He was in a low whisper. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? I've called you to go anoint the king in Damascus. Go back to what I've called you to. The reality of this, why do we fast? Why do we pray? Why do we concern ourselves with the lost? Because without purpose, we run into ruin. Without purpose, our own devices, our own routine destroy us. We have to be walking in God's purpose. So symbolically, I like us to come up to this altar. I like us to step out of our seats and say, I'm going to step out of that cave. I'm going to step out of my routine. And this week as I start this fast, I'm going to step out and say, God, I want to be obedient. I want to find my disciple for this year. I want to find the person you've called me to reach. I don't want to disobey anymore. I, want, I don't want to wait Because who knows the situation of the person that God has called you to reach? It may be very like this widow, that she was on her last meal. She was picking up sticks and saying, there's no more hope for me. There's no more chance for me. I've tried my best. I've worked the hardest. I've tried to ask for handouts, and I'm on my last straw. And here comes Elijah, a man who's hungry, but a man who's dependent on the Lord. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word, Lord Jesus, that challenges us, that tells us, Lord, that that you are ascending God, that you are a God that is concerned with the widows and the orphans, Lord Jesus, that you are a God who brings us purpose, that you are a God who brings change, that you are a God who brings awareness and transformation, and we want to be a part of that, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you that there are people like my friend in the Middle East, Lord, who say that you are worthy of it all. No matter the price, no matter the cost, you are worthy, Jesus. And I thank you that you've shown him, Lord Jesus, that you are able to do far exceedingly greater than we can ever imagine. So I pray this morning as the worship team plays, Lord Jesus, that you would meet us here in this congregation. You would meet those who are watching online right now. That you would meet them in this quiet place and fill them with purpose, a divine holy purpose for your mission, for the lost, for those who don't have the hope of Jesus, those who don't have access. I pray this morning that you would fill our hearts with gratitude for what you've done to our lives, but also fill us with urgency for those who have never heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.